A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Listen closely for the word of God. Now there was at Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which means Dorcas or gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Friends, this is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So out of the ashes of the Civil War, from the despair of childhood disease and death, under the shadow of alcohol and domestic abuse, the women gathered. They gathered because they were grieved by the carnage of the Civil War. They gathered because children didn't have clean water to drink. They gathered because their husbands and sons abused alcohol and their daughters lived in fear of domestic violence. They gathered because they believed in the power of women to birth a new world. And so at St. Andrew's Methodist Church in 1908, the women gathered to establish a church holiday for Christian women to gather and advocate for the causes near and dear to mothers' hearts. They would call it Mother's Day. Ironically, their instigator, Anna Jarvis, was never a mother or married herself, but even so, she tenaciously fought to institute Mother's Day. You see, her vision was never about celebrating women who had given birth. Her vision was to pool the power of all women to mother the world by binding up the wounds of war, by teaching values like mercy and compassion, and by birthing life abundant through the power of love. So Jarvis began campaigning for Mother's Day in much the same way she imagined the day itself. She organized protests, she issued fiery editorials, she wrote letters to politicians, she demanded an audience with sitting presidents, and she befriended Eleanor Roosevelt. And soon, Julia Ward Howe, the fiery suffragette abolitionist and author of the Battle Hymn of Republic, as you heard in our centering words, she joined the cause as well. 
and she wrote a piece titled An Appeal to Womanhood Throughout the World, which was later known as the Mother's Day Proclamation. And in it, she boldly proclaimed peace, saying, Arise then, Christian women of this day. Arise all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. So the women gathered not to fight for carnations and breakfast and bed, but for peace and justice. There's a song by the black women's a cappella group, uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock, and it's called The Women Gathered. If you haven't heard it in the song, they sing, it doesn't matter where you're living, the women gather. Truly, it doesn't matter where we live or when, women have always gathered with subversive intentions of upending the status quo and fostering life abundant. They gather into groups like Moms Demand Action to save lives from gun violence, and in organizations like MAD, M-A-D-D, to save lives from drunk drivers. And also, as we heard in our scripture this morning, Mary, the mother of God, she met with Elizabeth, mother of John, and in their meeting, Mary defiantly sang of a world turned upside down, a world where kings would be knocked off their high horses, the oppressed would be lifted up, the hungry would sit down to a feast, and the callous rich sent away empty. And in our gospel reading this morning, the women gather again. They gather around the body of Tabitha, a pillar of the early church. They gather to prepare her body for burial, to weep for the friend they lost, and to comfort one another. But first, there are two things that you need to know about Tabitha, this woman who was known for her good works and acts of charity. First, Tabitha is the only woman in the entire Bible who is called a disciple. Now certainly that doesn't mean that Tabitha was the only female disciple, but in a patriarchal society, society where women were mere property, the fact that Tabitha is even called a disciple is remarkable. And she must have been a remarkable woman indeed to be allowed that title. Her title also reveals that the early church, just like Jesus, continued to turn a patriarchal society upon its head, challenging the status quo and lifting up the power of women. And the second thing you should know about Tabitha is that most women in the Bible aren't even named, let alone given two names. This too is remarkable. Acts tells us that this woman disciple is called Tabitha in Aramaic and Dorcas in Greek. It's an unfortunate name, but yes. Um, and that means that Tabitha was known in both communities, that her ministry of charity and good works must have had a wide reach beyond language and culture. And so the widows of Joppa gathered because they wanted to see what could be done. They gathered because they had the audacity to believe that together they could change things, that they could right this wrong, reverse the irreversible, and bring Tabitha 
back to life because her ministry was just too important to die that day. And so they sent for Peter. And when he arrived, he was taken to the upper room where Tabitha lay. There he prayed for her. He told her, rise up. And he took her by the hand and led her back to life. Friends, in this past week, we too have witnessed the women gather. They gather in the streets to protest and march. They gather online to fundraise and organize. They gather in homes to write letters and make calls. Like Anna Jarvis, Julia Ward Howe, and the widows of Joppa, they gather together to pool their collective power for change, audaciously believing that together they can change the unchangeable, nurture compassion for the underprivileged, and birth life abundant for all people. Scripture tells us that God, like a mothering hen, like a mama bear, like a woman in childbirth, longs to mother us, to love us. She is eternally loving the world into being and loving us back to life when all seems lost. So each one of us, no matter our gender or our age, we are called to mother likewise, but we are not all called to give birth. We all have the capacity to mother because mothering doesn't mean bearing children. It means to love in a way that is life-giving. And we know this because God gives us each free will and bodily autonomy. God seeks to save her children from pain and poverty. And through scripture, God teaches us about our foremothers who brought life into this world in a myriad of ways, like Tabitha, we can be disciples and ministers like Lydia. We can be city leaders and successful business owners. Like Phoebe, we can be preachers and benefactors. Scripture says nothing about reproductive cho choice because it didn't exist. What it does say is that Jesus came so that we might have life abundant. And reproductive justice fosters God's dream of life abundant by enabling women to choose to bring new life into the world through planned pregnancies or through their passion and gifts. Reproductive justice fosters life abundant by tackling starvation, crime, and poverty, by boosting the economy and general welfare, by improving public health and maternal mortality, by reducing the environmental impact of overpopulation. Without it, there are women in this very room who would not have lived through childbirth. Without it, there are those in this room whose lives would have essentially ended in their teens. Without it, God's dream of life abundant is nearly impossible. So this Mother's Day, may we, the women, gather again with the audacious belief that we might change the unchangeable, nurture compassion among our leaders for women, and give birth to a life more abundant. That was, after all, the original intent of this church holiday to cry out for the causes of mothers and to mother the world into a new life. Now, I'll leave you with a story that I cannot put out of my mind 
Researching this week, I found out that soon after Anna Jarvis pioneered Mother's Day, capitalism pounced on it for gain. The day turned to carnations and sentimentality and to brunch. And so Jarvis began advocating for an end to the very holiday which she worked so hard to establish. It is even said that one Mother's Day when she was having brunch at a friend's tea room, she ordered a salad and then promptly dumped it on the floor. <laughs> she despised the salad because it was called Mother's Day salad. Now, I'm not asking you all to go forth today and to dump your salads on the floor at brunch, but I do ask that you go forth and honor our foremothers, Jarvis, Tabitha, Hal, Mary, Elizabeth, Phoebe, Lydia, Priscilla, and all the women who have loved you into being. I ask you to honor those who birth life abundant into this world. Amen.